Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Technically Pop. I'm Molly Slavin, and I'm here with Corey Gergen. How are you, Corey? Corey? Hey, I'm I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm good. I can also just say that again. Um. I, oh no! I think we just leave every variation of of my name in. It sounds great. I guess the weird part is I stumbled over your first name. Right. Right. Yes. Which is usually not the issue. Right. In any event, I'm also here with Eric Lewis. How are you, Eric? Uh, okay. <laughs> the the same as everyone else, I think. Fair enough. And Josh Cohen, how are you, Josh? I'm I'm just scheming how I too can become the boss of the English department. Oh yes. <laughs> it's all of our career goals, I think. Um it's... becoming the chair. Getting that corner office. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what we're here to talk about today. Netflix's um six episode dramedy, maybe, um, comic drama The Chair about um the uh the power struggles in a minor Ivy League English department <laughs> that appears to be comprised of about six professors and one graduate student. And, um, and one one undergrad. Oh, yes. And one undergrad. That's right. <laughs> With a um, car. Yes, she has a she's, car. She's very precocious. <laughs> <laughs> she has a car and a novel and her dad is on the board, I think. Yeah. And she's, she's into T.S. Eliot. That's yes. right. Yes. All of these are accurate. She <laughs> dares she dares to eat that peach. Yes. And bake yeah. it. She's and bake it in a pie. Yeah. She's actually maybe the most well-rounded character, as I think we're talking about. Daphna deserves her own spin-off, let's be honest. It could be called the thesis. Ooh. I like well, it. Well, she's already getting her novel published, right? So isn't she? No, they really leave no. the novel hanging. One of the many, many <laughs> introduced and then abandoned plot points. Like we do, we do see enough. a moment when Bill is like commenting on a manuscript and talking to an editor. And then we see him send a note to his TA and he's like, oh, I finally spoke to my publisher about your book. And I was like, wait a minute, do advisors advertise your book to academic publishers yeah, I this? it seemed like they really conflated the undergrad's novel which he had little interest in reading with his neglected phd candidate's dissertation which he very much is obligated to read yet does not really get shipped off to the publisher in any event this thing has more threads than penelope's loom so if we're a little confused you'll excuse us yes um i think I think probably it makes most sense to talk about start. Let's open with talking about our frustrations um, with the show, some of which we've already aired. Um, but I think the sort of main overwhelming one that I was hit with, even just watching the trailer before I even watched the show, was just like this idea that somebody would want to be a chair of an English department was completely baffling to me, and I think to everybody else. Yeah, that's not how it works. She says at one point to Bill, like, like he says, like, oh, it's so hot when you talk to me like I'm your boss. And she's like, I am your boss. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seemed like they were like, OK, we want to do a workplace sort of thing. We want to set it in academia. So, like, we need to have a chair who's in a corner office. Like, just the level of blatant, this has nothing to do with academia was kind of shocking. Yeah. And at one point she even says something like her dad says, I thought this promotion meant you had to work less. And she says, what promotion ever means you have to work less. And I thought, 
academic promotions mean you have to work less. <laughs> I think there's a lot of, I actually do think there's a lot of promotions that make you mean you have to work less. I raised an eyebrow at that line for a lot of reasons, but mm, you're right. Yeah. Well, I think fundamentally the, the difference in academia is that you would teach less as a chair, but you would go to more meetings and do more administrative work. And it's not really, it's just not that kind of hierarchy. Like, you're not supervising your colleagues teaching, right? You're just handling this kind of bureaucratic morass of like securing funding and like dealing with all kinds of paperwork. And it's just an annoying job that you really have to beg people to do, which is why it's so funny that they have a vote of no confidence against her. Because <laughs> if anything, it would be the other way around. Like they would all just like really want her to keep doing it as long as possible because it would mean they wouldn't have to do it. Yes. It's an obligation, right? It's not real. It's it's service, quote unquote. It's not mm -hmm. uh, it's not getting to really, you know, dictate what happens in the department. You just get bogged down with a lot of stuff that no one else wants to do. Right. The thesis of the show seems to be they make a woman of color do it because they want her to be the one to fall on the sword, which is like sort of halfway there because realistically it's more going to be something like they're going to make the woman of color do it because no one else wants this job. Yes. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I love Sandra Oh. I think we probably all uh, yeah. admire her a lot, yeah. but yeah. she would, when she was on fresh air talking to, talking to good old Terry gross, like she just admitted she didn't talk to a single academic when she prepared for this. And I'm not saying that's necessarily she needed to, like she's got big things to do like the last season of killing Eve or whatever, but it, it does show like she was very dialed into this woman as a mother of an adopted daughter and as, you know, like the dramedy idea of having conflicted romantic feelings for her colleague and recent widower, they were not dialed in. She didn't Daniel Day-Lewis this, right? She didn't do like a stint at Amherst or Williams and actually teach any classes. Like it's, it's from the film school version of Academia. Yeah. Which is which is fine. Yeah. Who cares? I kind of, I mean, there were a lot of takes about, um, like, why wasn't there more of a focus on contingent labor and, like, those sorts of things. Which, like, that was, I, like, that, that I'm kind of on board. Like, that's not the show Netflix wanted to make. They're not going to make a show about um, exploited labor markets. They're going to make a show about beautiful Ivy corner offices, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I... I think that's fair. Like they made that decision. That's fine. But they had so many characters in the show that were so much more interesting and had so yes. much more going on. Uh, like <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. This deserves more time, but like Bill didn't need to be a character who existed, but also <laughs> Sandra. No, all of a sudden, all of these people are like, Oh, you and Bill. And I'm like, I have not picked up on that at any point throughout this show. Um, I don't understand what Bill is doing here. I don't see any chemistry between him and Sandra O. Oh. Um, I don't understand why all these people have concluded that they are in love. Uh, or am I like am I missing something? Did they seem to have anything going on? No, I think the the closest they got was that he's good with her adopted daughter. And that seemed to be like where they were pushing it oh, but that's not the same thing as a romantic relationship right but i think that's what the show thought that's where the show thought it was gonna work yeah right yeah. like they go like they go bowling together and there's all these um like he's like 
Because, as as Eric reminded us before we started recording, because uh, Sandra oh, at one point runs over his foot in her car, he's like he's like stuck on her couch for a day or two, and he like helps he helps the daughter with like a school project. I think that is taking the place of any actual romantic chemistry because there isn't much. And Bill, yeah, Bill's not interesting. The show gives gives him way more space than anyone else uh, than than anyone else except maybe Sandra O's character. Um, and I think it raises, and I, I'm like you all, I don't want to get bogged down in like the, like, you know, this doesn't, this doesn't treat academia accurately because like no show in any workplace treats the workplace accurately. Uh, but I do think, I, I, I do think that the way that Bill's plot goes forth is troubling. Like, I, I don't like the way that it depicts like the power dynamics of an Ivy league school where like it imagines sort of like liberal or progressive students as having the power to like upend like not just the chair of a department but like like the dean like it's it's very strange the way that bill's plot plays out and i i don't like it well yeah or or go ahead josh well i was just gonna say he's he's a stock type right like he Mm. is he is the supposedly the the charismatic like teacher he Mm -hmm. is the Dead Poet Society just aged up a bit, right? He's a, he's now he's a widower. He's a little gloomy. He's like a romantic poet. Everyone loves him. Supposedly, they keep talking about how much the students love Bill, even though we don't see a ton of evidence <laughs> of that. But they keep talking about it. you know that's the whole show don't tell thing. But the one moment that they have real chemistry, I mean, there's there's a couple you could argue, but it's in that in his termination hearing or whatever where mm-hmm. he starts expounding on what a poem is and how whatever, like how delightful it is. And it's, it's, and then she kind of stops and it's like, I am not an unbiased person. Like I can't make a decision here. And you, I think the idea is that she is attracted to him and his love of literature. And, and the idea of his character, I think is like the dead poet society, sort of Robin Williams character of that professor who loves his subject so much that it's so infectious um, but he's been kind of knocked off his groove because his wife has died and, you know, his foot has been run over, et cetera. But I, I don't think, I think you're right that they don't put a lot of flesh on that idea and they don't develop it at all. And they just keep positing that he's so great and everyone loves him. Yeah. And, and just to back up a little bit. Yeah. I think the first time we see him, he's sending his daughter off to college uh, and his, like, his daughter doesn't even seem to like him very much. Uh, it's, it's, it's very strange. And he's, like, missing classes and and things. And and the chair tells him to, like, get in get into shape. His poor grad student who, uh, in the end, uh, he sends her dissertation to a publisher, which is exactly how academic publishing works, as, as we kind of pointed out. She's kind of stuck in this weird, difficult spot. And the scene where you think Robin Williams is going to come out of him, right? Like, that's that's the scene in the movie uh he instead makes a nazi salute right and this leads to him being yeah just completely inexplicably out of nowhere um uh and and this leads to him being quote-unquote canceled and that's what i was sort of alluding to earlier but this becomes then like the dominant plot of this of this show yeah you're you're right that you're right that it's so funny how 
the students are so in the loop. Like the students know how like <laughs> tenure works. Right. The undergrads yeah. in the show are like, if you don't give her tenure, like there's going to be consequences. Like undergrads don't know what tenure is. Like they don't know what a dossier is. Like they don't know any of this process. Um, Eric, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to build on what Corey was saying about <laughs> about the fact that the show for five and two thirds episodes seems to posit the most interesting drama going on on college campuses is how cancel culture is ruining free speech. <laughs> I don't think that's what the show is about, but like, why is that the central plot? Like, why is that? the central conflict. And then in that um in that hearing that you were talking about when there is that one moment of chemistry between uh Sandra O's character and Bill like Ji-yoon says oh like this isn't about Bill this isn't about whether he's a Nazi or not like this is about this larger thing like the this is about the problem of the university and whether it matters anymore and it's like why was that only the plot for five minutes if that's what you wanted the plot to be? Like, why did you make it a plot centered on right-wing talking points? Except that we're also, remember, trying to cancel the ethnic studies department, which was um, given all the treatment of about 15 seconds of Sandra Oh signing a petition. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, we probably shouldn't spend too much time getting annoyed at at this because I think it's all, you know, going to be the same across any kind of workplace drama. I do want to say that I found it absolutely, we don't really even have to expand on it. I found it absolutely baffling that Sandra O's entire extended family lives in this small town. Um, <laughs> did they all move there to be with her? Did she grow up there? Um, because she doesn't, there's a huge, there there's a huge Korean diaspora at Pembroke. I mean, everybody yep. knows that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I did. I, I will say, and, and you're right, it, it doesn't really make all the sense. I did see an, a, a tweet like shortly after the show came out that said something like, uh, this is the first time they'd ever seen Sandra Oh have a family on a show or a movie, which I thought was interesting because I can't think of an example. Right. She's always like. And anyway, uh, but but you're right. It, it's inexplicable that they're all like in this neighborhood and they would just like run into Bill on the street. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess also kind of weird that he would never have met them before if they've been friends for so long and they all live there. And like, it seems like a pretty like small community. Anyway, whatever. It's fine. It's fine. Um, would have made more sense to throw in a random like two hour road trip to Boston, but it's, it's fine. Um, the only, like, I like what you said, Corey, about, I'd never thought, of, I hadn't really thought of that, that Sandra O, oh, I can't think of an example either where she has a family at any point. Um, but something I found sort of annoying about the show was just this whole, and I, for lack of a better term, I guess, like a Liz Lemony aspect to Sandra O's life, this like sort of angsting over whether a woman can have it all, quote unquote. Yes. 100%. I just, it's so, it's so boring. It's so boring. You're right. Yeah. 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 I would, I would agree with that. I like the stuff with her daughter and her father. I didn't like the way they tried to play it as like, a tension between her. Like there's all these inexplicable, like where she's like losing babysitters and there's like important departmental events that she, and, but she like has the kid and yeah, I didn't like yeah. the way that they were constantly in conflict. They could have so, both been happening in the show without it being. Yeah, also, the babysitter way over Like that little kid is weird, but all little kids are weird. No babysitter yes. would bolt at that, at that indiscretion. So yeah. 
and and not only that, but the things she's leaving for are so absurd. Like, again, there is no big faculty party. None of nobody <laughs> wants to see each other. Like, they none of those people would want to to do that. They would want to be off campus as soon as possible. And it certainly wouldn't be like the event of the season. They make it seem like this ritzy gala. Like, you cannot. <laughs> you have to beg faculty to stay after hours for like important events. They're not just like congregating. Like she would have no problems bailing on that thing or putting in five minutes and leaving. But again, it's probably more interesting just to make a show about a single mom with an adopted daughter who's of a different ethnicity who happens to also be an academic and has like a, a complicated job that, you know, requires a lot of intellectual energy. And it would be perfectly interesting just for her to be like, you know, trying to keep up on her research and like do her work and also figure out how to parent this girl. It doesn't, it didn't have to be so melodramatic, but Netflix really, like the show reminds me a lot of, of um, Friends from College, another like Netflix show that's very stress inducing and is, is showing people trying to balance life and kids. And they always seem to find the most stressful potential st- decision-making tree, right? Um, because she ran over Bill's foot, he ends up in this predicament and she has, to, you know, whatever. And it's like, it doesn't need to be stressful. It could just be good. Yeah. Yeah, it's I like that comparison because I felt like Friends from College and maybe now the chair is almost like written by AI. Like, what do humans like? And like getting maybe like 80% of the way there, but like sort of missing the final mark. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh, for sure. It's like all the ingredients are there, but it doesn't come to it's just not quite right in the way it for comes sure. together. Yeah. Yeah. That's it though. Go- oh, sorry, so I just sorry. I I completely forgot that Friends from College existed until Josh Udis brought it up. And <laughs> it's such a cur- it's it's very much the right uh connection because it's like the elements of a good show are there. And I think the same is true with the chair, but then like it it like they didn't follow the baking directions and it came out a mess. Yeah. Or they like are in Denver and they tried to bake like they weren't at altitude or something like that. Um, <laughs> that's yes. actually a, that's a great analogy. <laughs> they they baked like they weren't at altitude. That's good. But there were actually a few things I thought that were kind of funny or that did actually work for me. Um, personally, I really loved the David Duchovny character. I really like it when people like play worse versions of themselves. Um, I thought that was really well done. I don't know if y'all agreed. Definite highlight. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I like that plot. And it's an example of where like heightening reality worked, right? I mean, that was a an exaggeration of sort of the way that celebrity works in academia. Uh, but it but but yeah, but but I, I thought it worked. It was like purposeful and it and it did something. Uh, that was one of the few places where I felt like I understood what the show was trying to say about um, an English department or a humanities department at a like uh minor ivy i think is molly what you said earlier i think they refer to themselves as a minor ivy at one point um but i can't remember one yeah i was gonna say lesser and minor sounds much nicer so i'm we'll go with that i wish every episode had been her dealing with just like a kind of surreal challenge which sounds like a little bit what the show is but what i mean by that is i with the David Duchovny thing, like she has to go to this weird house. He's like swimming in the pool. He's like wants her to read his like one dissertation chapter on Beckett. And she's like, you're not caught up on the academic conversation. And she's got to talk him out of 
taking this lectureship. I wish every episode had been her having to like do weird negotiations instead of it just being like people getting mad at her, basically, which is what it is. Like, oh, the students are mad at her. Oh, her colleagues are mad at her. Like, she can't fix it. It was much more interesting to see her like have to rhetorically like persuade David Duchovny that he should just give them money and endow something and not actually do it himself. And, and that's not that unrealistic. Like those of us who are at Emory for our PhD, like Paul Simon came one year to give like a lecture that is an annual lecture that's usually given by like a very elite scholar of some kind. And they're like, Hey, but you know who would get butts in seats is Paul Simon. So like, let's just do that. Yeah, absolutely. There's a little joke too, where David Duchovny says to her, like, um, like who else were you considering? And she sort of sighs and is like, there has been talk of James Franco. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, James Franco jokes were good. James, James Franco, um, applied to a school, uh, while I was attending it. Uh, he did not wind up coming. Uh, that's, that's all I'll say. I, I, Josh, I, I think you're right. I, I also wanted the show to be kind of more like issue of like episode of the week and less, um, serialized. And I, I, I like what you said about what's good about the Duchovny plot is that like, she solves it. It's like, like the show needed more of those like Don Draper moments where, uh, not that, not that she's a Don Draper figure, but like, one of the reasons Mad Men works was that there were those moments where you saw how good he was at his job. And you don't really get that with the chair until the second to last episode, right? Until then, yeah. you're right. It's just people mad at her or her missing appointments uh, or or whatever. Well, and yeah. you know, the thing, the whole Jones storyline with her office being moved and the Title IX thing, like more of that, more of faculty coming to her and dumping stuff on her and being like, you need to fix this and leaving her with like too much to do. And a lot of it, you know, a lot of it's just like bureaucratic red tape and it's, it's just nebulous, not this like scheming to get her deposed. Like no one would depose her. They want her to take care of their problems. Though Bob Balaban is very good as the, you know, over the hill Melville scholar who is like, uh, opposed to everything new, including such very recent pedagogical uh, developments as tweeting for a class. <laughs> Who also apparently sabotaged his own wife's career because he wanted her home with the kids, which is sort of a minor reveal that I didn't yeah, got. He, he feels yeah. bad about it now. So, you know. Yeah, right. He's sad now. <laughs> <laughs> I should have done more at the time. Yeah. So did we end up getting like, so one of the points I was making earlier is that it's the same point that we've been making in multiple ways just like the show has good elements it just doesn't explore them it's more interested in its worst elements um so when we're talking about there's no representation of contingency on it like there were plenty of um looks at more interesting more precarious corners of the academy like i thought that the Yasmin character was amazing. She was really interesting. I feel like that is a story or that is an experience we've all encountered or are familiar with of here is this faculty member of color. They are facing a lot of hurdles in terms of getting tenure. So they're being like headhunted by other institutions that want them. And then there are people who are there who are like, oh, we want to change this place. We want you to stay. You should stay like that would have been a really interesting conflict to see this character navigating this 
career decision in this complicated setup. But no, instead we spent time with the Melville scholar just like hoeing and humming and trying to change the chair of the department. It, it was a really strange choice. Not to mention that you would never ask someone to co-teach with someone who they're overseeing their tenure case. Like that whole thing made yeah. no sense. Like like you have three kids enrolled in your class and she has like a million. So you should co-teach because you're doing her tenure case. Like that made no sense. And it's also, I mean, I get that they wanted some cliffhangers. I mean, maybe 40 cliffs is too many, but I feel like a lot of people were interested in knowing if she was going to stay or if she was going to leave. Although, I mean, who wants to live in New Haven? Let's be honest. Well, everybody wants to live where Pembroke is, apparently. Um, G. Yoon's entire extended family. David Duchovny already has a house there. So <laughs> I do. I do see why um, Yasmin would want to stay. Um, sorry, that was kind of a lame joke. No, no. <laughs> I just I, it was very baffled by the fact David Duchovny already seemed to live there also. Where is this place? I think I think we were supposed to get the sense that she had driven some distance, but it was a it was clearly a day trip. Like there's no way she drove more than an hour, right? Like she didn't like pack snacks or anything. No, uh, he says something like, "I love coming here to the farmers market," or or so, there was some oh, weird. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. God, what a weird thing. Um, anyway, it's not, it's not that important, but no, no, no. Um, yeah, I, I I was just gonna. I I also wanted more of that tenure plot line. I, I like early on, I thought that I thought the move the show was going to make was that Bill was going to fade out after the first couple of episodes and we were going to turn focus to some of these other um, more interesting characters, more interesting plot lines. And, and it just never happened. You got little, little, like you touched in with each of those plots towards the end, but that was it. And you never really got, um, yeah, anyway, you, you never really got enough with these characters that I want, that I wanted. Uh, except Bill, which I got more than enough of. More than enough. Yeah. Well, um, I think we're trying to keep these episodes somewhat short um, going forward, but maybe just concluding with, I think we're all really curious and kind of thinking about like, if you want to make a show about academia with a capital A, uh, it seems like you always sort of use the English department or English teachers as sort of a stand-in. Um, somebody, I forget who I apologize, but somebody like mentioned Robin Williams, like Dead Poets Society earlier, right? He's an English teacher at a prep school. Um, it's always like the English department. Why is that? Why is English always the sort of go-to if you want to make a show about education or academia? I think writers were probably good at English class as part of it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I also think like the way that English classes get depicted in these shows is, is more dramatic. Like it's, it's, these classes are depicted as drama in a way that I can't imagine depicting a math class as a drama, right? It's like, well, there was stand by me or whatever about the you're right. talk teacher. You're right. You're right. That's, that's maybe the exception that, that ruins my, uh, argument, but I'm thinking about like, I can't believe you forgot the best comb over in film. <laughs> well i was just i was thinking about uh the hillary swank one was it called freedom writers yes yeah. it, it very like, unfortunately was yeah and it's like 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 teaching children to write is like teaching them to know themselves and there's that kind of like uh like like 
coming of age that's I think easier to build into an English or writing class. Um, I, I, I don't know. Um, uh, you know, in, in Twilight, they're always reading like Romeo and Juliet or Wuthering Heights <laughs> or something. <laughs> it's a department that everyone thinks they know what it is. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Like everyone yeah. had to take English at some point and not everyone had to take AP Calc. So it works because everyone feels like they understand what goes on in an English class is kind of, yeah. I guess, my theory. Yeah. And I think you're right, Corey, that a lot of it has to do with the potential stories it sets up for students, even though this uh, this show doesn't explore that to a great extent. Like it is the sort of thing where just in a humanities classroom, professors have different interactions with students mm. than in other fields. And then in English, it is so often about interpretation about perspectives on the world and that sort of stuff so you can get the like attractive rising star in there like yeah um and maybe to to bring it full circle i'm just remembering that uh liz lemon herself tina fey was a math teacher in mean girls you're absolutely right i totally <laughs> forgot about that right because she makes her be a math elite yes 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 <laughs> Oh, that's so, that's so good. That's one more exception. You're right. Well, I think we've given this show all the time it needs. <laughs> I'm glad that we were the first academics to consider talking about this show. It was really good. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Is there going to be a season two? Depends on the almighty algorithm. Right. <laughs> maybe if we can, maybe if they hear about our podcast, they'll do a season two. <laughs> there's certainly been enough coverage to warrant a season two. I mean, there's been a, so many articles and, and, you know, takes on it. So, so there probably will be. Netflix likes to do like two or three seasons of everything, like no matter what. Even friends, even friends from college. Even friends from college. Uh, yeah yeah three is like the yeah three is the moment where you really have to be a big hit to go past i think with netflix with the mm -hmm. algorithm yeah yep um well i guess we'll find out we sh sure will and stay <laughs> with us for when we get together to complain about whatever is wrong with that one which <laughs> but i guess that's that's a wrap <laughs> all right thanks everybody for listening thank you 